preach, man. Thank you, Pastor. Turn your Bibles to Acts 15. I do appreciate so much uh, the fellowship with you guys, and I love the messages this morning. I <clears throat> I served uh, 17 years as youth pastor and assistant pastor and do everything pastor, and then I got to be the senior pastor for 25 years, and now this starts my ninth year being under Pastor Nelson, I'm, uh, Pastor Brennistall. I'm still on staff there as the mission's pastor, and so I spent 25, now this is my 26th year being under a man, and 25 years being the, the big dog. And it's infinitely easier being the second man. Yes, sir. And, <coughs> but I believed with all my heart that God had called me to do what I was doing, and what I was doing was just as important as what the other guy was doing. And, uh, so imagine I milked cows and stayed home and was in this fragile envelope in Wisconsin, a safe distance for a military base so we didn't have a bunch of people moving in and out, and a safe distance from a Bible college so we didn't have a bunch of the Sanhedrin in the pews. And <laughs> the, the Lord blessed and we grew from 200 to 300 and 400 and now almost 600, and God blessed. But I believed when we were running 20 that the Holy Spirit of God was there, and I believed he was in every inch of what we were doing. It took us several years to reach critical mass, and the pastor was bivocational, and I was bivocational. When he asked me to go on staff, he, it was $25 a week, and I was overpaid at that time. <laughs> And you know the old adage in the Baptist circles, if you can't give them a raise, give them a title. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but I'm only saying one of the things, I believe God was just preparing me my whole life for this stage of life. And just as if I was in Cameroon, Africa, this is what God's wanted for me my whole life. And I just had to go to school for 42 years to learn to do what he has me doing. And I'm for the preachers. I have never worshipped at success, and I've never been a big man worshiper and all that kind of stuff. And there are great men, and God uses people with their natural abilities and talents and influence and experience. But... At the end of the day, we keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus, and we pray to him, and that's, that's the end of it. When people say, Brother King, did you hear about this great giant that fell? And I'm going, hey, I, I didn't have him on that pedestal. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but he's just another man, and I get that. And I'm not critical of that, because it's only the grace of God that I haven't done the same thing, so I just shut my mouth and mind my business and go on about trying to serve the Lord. But now, I, here I am, and I'm traveling all over. I've been in hundreds and hundreds of churches. I call this phase of life meeting the 4,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Now, there used to be 7,000. <laughs> There's still lots of good guys doing lots of good stuff. And so I'm always encouraged, but I'll say this, and I think I could be without contradiction, 
My Saturday-Monday ministry has been more important than my Sunday ministry. I love preaching, but I don't try to shepherd somebody else's flock. They're there, line upon line, precept upon precept. But there is a great, great need to encourage pastors, or at least to pat them on the bottom and square their shoulders back and push them back in the fight. Because the devil has a way of isolating pastors and discouraging pastors in a way that no layman really understands. And of course, commonly they'll say, well, Brother King, did you ever have, and before they even finish the sentence, I go, yes, yes, we had that. I got a t-shirt for that. Um, but hey, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, and that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. But as I've gotten around, there are places I get, I marvel that anybody attends that church. You'd have to beat me to make me go there. I, I mean, permission to speak freely. Um, I mean, I was in a church in Tennessee a Wednesday night. I'm 70, and I think I was the youngest person in the building. 80 people, 90 people, Wednesday night, right? Okay, prayer request, wonderful. Now, they prayed more to keep people out of heaven than to get people into heaven. Every prayer request was for a health need. Pray for Maud's goiter, pray for so's leg, pray for so-and-so, and I'm for that. But not one person prayed for a lost soul, not one person mentioned somebody they'd witnessed to, not somebody called a name and, hey, I want my daddy saved. And then he stood up and made announcements for 35 minutes. Didn't we have a wonderful watch night service? Thank you, Tom and Barb, for working on the sweetheart banquet. Boy, the music people and all the work they'd put into the Easter. I'm there in May! Who wants to work on the picnic for Memorial Day? Who wants to work on the 4th of July float? Hey, listen, Labor Day, we're going to try to honor the workers. Thanksgiving, we're going to have the Thanksgiving meal. And pray for the group looking at Christmas cantatas. He announced from January through December on a Wednesday night, to every single person in the building knew exactly what was going on. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Brother King, you gotta be done at 8.15. The kids are out of Awanas. I got the pulpit at one minute after eight. <laughs> the lady that sang the special. <laughs> 
she's a quadriplegic, I think, and she's sitting in the very back. And he announces a special, and it takes her two minutes to migrate to the front. And she gets to the pulpit. When you're watching your preaching time melt away, <laughs> she puts her music on the pulpit. Sweet lady. Pianist starts to play. I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to get up pretty soon. Oh, no. She walks back over to the pianist. Hey, listen, I'm going to do two verses, and then you play an interlude, and then we'll do the other verse, and then the last verse, and then the last verse, and I'll repeat the chorus, change keys. Honest to God. She sang every verse. She played an interlude verse. We repeated the chorus, and six minutes just went past. I'm saying, if you see it as an outsider, all of a sudden you realize, boy, we do some stupid stuff. And the pastor says to me on Monday, or Thursday, Brother King, did you see anything at all you thought could be improved in our church? I mean, we don't have any young families. And I don't know why the young families, I mean, they come and visit, but they never stay. Now, I'm not a guru on all things you ought to do, but, oh my goodness. <laughs> Think through. These people that are going to the big box churches, I promise you, nobody's making announcements. The most they ever say is, don't forget this is the week to sign up for camp. All the, everything is live streamed to their phone or downloaded to their web page or on their blog and they come in and they sing two or three songs and the guy's in the pulpit. It, this generation has the attention span of a gnat. And if you think you're going to hold them for an hour and a half service and beat them to death, it's no wonder. I forget that. Here, yeah, here's the other thing. <laughs> here's Christianity. And I was a farmer, and hey, we would milk a cow and pour the pail into a bucket in the middle of the aisle before we took it to the cooler. And if you let it sit, the cream has a way of coming to the top in a pail of milk. And the whey is down there on the bottom. Now you can slop hogs and there's still protein in the whey and all of that. But we make ice cream out of the, out of the cream on the top. And you look at Christianity as a whole, and I'm saying this is just an old fossil. And these, I'll say big box churches, you know what I'm talking about. They talk about the blessings and the miracles and the joy of the Lord is my strength and the testimonies and the answered prayer and how wonderful it is to be a Christian. And some of our churches, bless God, we preach the Bible. There's obedience and there's sacrifice and die to self, and the world's crucified to me, and I am to the world, and tithe, and suffer. And that's in the pale. But don't be shocked. 
if somebody wants to go, <laughs> where they talk about blessings and the joy and the happiness and the miracles and the answered prayer, that's in the pale too. Don't let them have all the best of Christianity, for Pete's sake. You, well, anyway, uh, Acts 15, we're just horsing around here for a minute, but as a pastor, I was bombarded with well-meaning people saying to me, Brother King, have you heard of Rick Warren? Do you know about Saddleback? Have you heard about Bill Hybels? Brother King, have you seen these churches? Now, you don't, those of you who don't know me, but I am strong on the King James Bible. And I'm real strong on the local church, and I'm even stronger on a personal walk with Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm kind of against church rules and all of that. My goodness, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. I'm for them personally knowing the Lord and doing what they do because they love the Lord, because they tremble at the word of God, not because the preacher might see them. They live it because they believe it themselves. But our kinds of churches get accused of being legalists all the time. I don't think in all the years as a pastor I ever preached in anything but a white shirt. My, my people knew if I had a colored shirt on it meant I wasn't preaching that night. If I was preaching, I wore a white shirt. I always wore a coat and tie. I don't care how hot it was. And I'm saying, it's a big deal to me to set a right example of, look, we're in church. We're here. I don't care about you, but I do care about him. Amen. But we get accused and accused and accused of being legalists and living for the externals and not being after the heart. And we... And after a while, when you're bombarded with that enough, and the people say, well, have you noticed that some of our families are going, they never leave and go to a stronger church. They always go to a weaker church. You find out they don't really believe what you believe. They've just put up with you for a while. But they go to where they really do believe. And people would say, Brother King, have you? And they would buy me a copy of the Purpose Driven Church. Hey, I think you, you know, there are some, hey, you, if you ever, are you aware, are you alerted to? And they're not saying you're stupid. They just think you're misguided. And if you knew what was out there, if you knew what was available, if you knew, hey, if, you're, if you play your cards right, you could have this. And that, I, I just, you don't know how I just, vomit at that whole mentality. But here in Acts 15, and you guys are familiar with this, I don't have an alliterated thing like see these professionals, but the um, <laughs> the Apostle Paul goes, gets saved, sent out in Acts 13, he goes up into Asia Minor, he starts all these churches, and of course the big debate comes back. He's back at Jerusalem, and hey, do the Gentiles that have come to Christ have to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised 
and observe the Sabbath day? Do, the, do those guys have to do that? And there's a big, <coughs> big contention. The Judaizers say, yeah, look, you know, God's given the law, these precepts. I mean, hey, right, we're fresh off the Gospels. Jesus is resurrected. Now we're early in the game here. And notice it says in Acts 15, um, verse 4, when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. I mean, you're acquainted with how this happens. Acts 15 and so they declare, here's how God worked. I mean, the Holy Spirit moved in, and these people got saved, and churches were started, and boy, they quote the law, and Peter speaks, and after they look at some Old Testament references, and Paul, verse 12, declares the wonders that God's wrought among the Gentiles. Verse 13, after they had held their peace, James answered, and I think he's the pastor of the church there, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto us. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles. Verse 13, or 15, into this agree the words of the prophets. Verse 16, after this I'll return and we'll build again the tabernacle of David. He's showing the Old Testament basis for all of this happening. And verse 17, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called saith the Lord, who doeth all these things, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, verse 19, my sentence is this. That's a very powerful verse. I've considered what you said. I've considered what you've said. I've looked at it in light of how I understand the Old Testament. I've cited my reasons, and my sentence is this. Here's my conclusion, taking everything in. It's important to get counsel, but somebody eventually has got to stand up and say, here's what we're going to do. Amen. And he says, my sentence is this. We trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollution of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. And then he gives the reason. For Moses... Of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. He doesn't say so that they'll be more pure. Look, if they're saved, they're saved by grace through faith alone in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to tell them these things because for testimony's sake, there are those who observe the law. There are Jews in all these areas. There are those that are preaching Moses. And at least to be the kindergarten of being a halfway decent testimony, they should abstain from things strangled from blood and from fornication, and we'll just tell them that. What do we tell new converts? We tell them, hey, look, uh, you're saved now. You're forgiven. You're truly God's child. You don't, you're not going to someday be saved. You're already saved. And now what do we tell them? You need to be in church. And we tell them they should read their Bible. And we tell them what? You should try to reach your lost mom and dad and your relatives, your coworkers, your deer hunting buddy. Hey, everybody else has a soul and they need to be saved. And why? Why don't you tell them anything else? Because they're brand new Christians. Milk belongs to babes. You start them someplace. Hey, here's where we are. Here's what we teach.
These are brand new Gentile Christians. And he says, I think we should just write them letters. And notice it says, uh, verse, uh, then pleased at the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men. It says they, they agreed. Okay, we'll send the letters. You read a little later in the chapter. And he says, Greetings, and hey, it seemed good unto us, verse 25, being assembled with one accord to send chosen men, and we've sent Judas, and it seemed good that you should abstain, 29, from meats offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, from fornication, which if you keep yourselves, you do well, fare ye well. That's what it says. That's plainly what it declares. That's what we have to go by. The purpose driven church stops right there. You could just take a scissors and cut right there the rest of that page and all the rest of everything that was written after that. See, I'm pleading with you to think this through for a minute. The purpose-driven church, when they gave that to me, I'm reading it. Hey, God's given us the church, and the first thing we're supposed to be doing is worship. And then we're here for fellowship and discipleship. Then we're here as a place of service. Then we're here for evangelism. And I'm going, and, and, who doesn't know that? I mean, who doesn't know that? I've been preaching that since the day I was saved. Uh, hey, we're worshiping, we're fellowshipping, we're growing, we're reaching, we're serving. How dare I condemn the purpose-driven church when I believe every syllable of that and always have? See, we have to be careful what we say because our credibility does matter. And the people that do have a brain can read the book for themselves. And when you find yourself criticizing out of hand, uh, John MacArthur's an antichrist, the purpose different church is from hell. Hey, there's lots of people out there that can think for themselves and can read for themselves. It's true. This is what the church is for. If I ask you, is an ice cube cold or hard? <laughs> you say, well, it's cold, but it's not hard. Yes, it is. Is God sovereign or does man have volition? It's a false choice, isn't it? Two things can be true and simultaneously true if God says they are. I don't have to understand it. But it's not in what we affirm. It's in what we deny. When we say the purpose of the church is for worship and service and evangelism. If, hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. But the rest of the book is that's all that matters to God. And they err not in what they affirm, but in what they deny. They err in saying nothing else matters 
to God. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Hey, I know what we say to the baby Christians. I know what we say to the new Gentile believers. I get it. I know what Acts 15 says. Abstain from things, strangled for blood, from fornication. Because why? Because Moses is preached in every city. If you keep yourself from this, you'll do well. There's a starting point. But this movement, the big box movement, the saddleback movement, the, hey, it's good God, good devil, come as you are, leave as you came, God loves you, the hyper grace movement, the Joseph Prince, 50,000 people come in here and tell how, hey, you're under grace, don't let anybody condemn you, don't let anybody shed guilt on you, don't let anybody convict you, you're free, you're free, it's grace, hyper grace, God, you're in grace, he knew all about you, and you're accepted in the beloved according to Ephesians 1, 6, and so you don't have to worry about it, don't worry about it, you can live a licentious life, and God accepts it. Let me tell you something. A lot of Bible got written after Acts 15. God cares a lot about the rest of it. There's a reason. There's a reason. Romans says, hey, it's by grace through faith. Don't get these two things tangled up. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no man be justified. This has nothing to do with whether or not you're saved. But you get to Corinthians and, hey, there's strife and divisions among you. This ought not so to be. Hey, you got guys going to law with their brother. This shouldn't be. Hey, there's fornication in your assembly, and not so much as is named among the Gentiles. You shouldn't have this. Listen, lots matters to God beside just. Don't think, eat things sacrificed to idols. You get to it's a shame for man to have long hair. Observe communion. It goes on to say, Hey, you're going to get a new resurrected body. Make sure everything's orderly in the church. You start reading, put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, which after God has created in righteousness and true holiness. Ye also put off all these hatred, wrath, seditions, evil surmising. Hey, all of a sudden, it gets down to the real nitty-gritty of here's how you live. And you, well, preacher, I don't know, do we have to have all that? Well, I don't know, how about being conformed to the image of Christ? How about let us go on unto perfection? How about be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy? What kind of Christianity do you have if you cut your Bible off in Acts 15? That's what they've done. That's what they've done. They've said, hey, all that matters to God, are you worshiping? All that matters to God, are you serving? All that matters to God, are you? No, lots of things matter to God. It's not in what they affirm. It's in what they deny. But we have to be very, I want to say accurate, precise. One guy I mentioned earlier, do you know who John MacArthur is? Why? Why do people ask that? 
because they've been reading John Piper up in Minnesota. They've been reading John MacArthur. Plausible, reasonable, theological, but a Calvinist Presbyterian. His dad was a Presbyterian pastor. He believes lots of this Bible. His book on the charismatic chaos is one of the best books against the charismatic movement. He's not the Antichrist. A lot of people have been helped by his commentary or his Bible. A lot of people think John Piper hung the moon and stuff. When we object to what's being taught and preached and what people are reading after and who they're following, we better know what we're talking about. When we just dismiss these people out of hand and we're not informed about what they believe or what they stand or if we can't refute it from the Bible, then we lack the credibility to lead anybody. Don't be surprised if they want to go eat at another trough. Don't be surprised if they go someplace where somebody is reasonable and somebody is bound. And I'm just going to say, this brother preached today on 2 Corinthians 1, and he talked about how we were distressed and pressed out of measure and so much we despaired even of life. But just as an example of what I'm saying, the very next verse says, Ye also helping together by prayer to God for us. It's the only verse in the Bible where someone from a remote distance acknowledged that when they prayed a long ways away, it helped him. When a Calvinist says to you, Hey, uh, God so loved the world, that doesn't mean he only really loved the elect. Now, we can, we can dismiss it out of hand, but how much better to show them in Mark chapter 9 when the rich young ruler came and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he said, well, you've got to give rid of this and this and this. And the guy walks away sorrowing, but right in the middle of the text... It says, and Jesus loved him. Amen. It's a damnable lie. What they teach is a damnable lie. But you have to be able to show it from the scriptures why it's a lie. Amen. Have the credibility. When <coughs> I preached the other day. God would rather show mercy than judgment. God shows mercy whenever he can. Judgment only when he must. But you have to be able to show them in James, mercy rejoices against judgment. See, we believe right, but sometimes we say things that we don't have a Bible verse to back up. And sometimes when we talk to people, oh, they were just a rebel. Oh, they just wouldn't listen. They just wouldn't conform. And I'm just challenging us. There are people like that, but let's us be at our best so when they walk away, it's not because they didn't like us, but they walked away from what the clear declaration of the Bible said. Amen. Let us go on under perfection, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's in there. That's in there. Just as much as God loves us and accepts us and knows us and keeps us and seals us. Yes, that's all in there. But so is the bottom half of the pale. And it's cheating them. They don't have a right 
I mean, the honest truth is, they're largely ignorant of the Old Testament where God repeatedly judges sin and judges sin and judges sin. And they have a warped view of who God is. And then if you only tell them, see, Jesus loved them. Father, forgive them for they know what they do. Wonderful, that's a great truth. I believe it. You can't steal it from me. But one save that none despair, but only one that none presume. Right? God still judges sin. God still calls his people to live a credible life that is a reflection of him. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ that be you reconciled to God. We get to be his spokesman. We get to be his representative. We get to, let's give an accurate picture of the God of the Bible. When he said, look, uh, you know, you get on your face. When you really see God, you get on your face. I just can't tell you how much I agree with that, how much I love that. The people, A.W. Tozer said something I just never forgot. He said, the ultimate in idolatry is to have someone think thoughts about God that are not worthy of him. Our main task is to give people the right perspective of who God is, what he's like, how he operates, what he does. Now, he also says his ways are past finding out. But the incredible arrogance of a Calvinist says, oh, I figured him out. That whole system is based on pride. And, and I'm not on that, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm saying to you, I'm just pleading, my, my whole point just as a single thing, and I don't even have a poem, is, honestly, I just can't tell you, pastors, be credible to your people. Know what you're talking about. It doesn't impress anybody just to make big macro statements, and I'm the only one, bless God, that got the courage to say it. And uh, Look. This Bible, if we say it's the final authority in all matters of faith and practice, then you better know what you're saying and show it to them, book, chapter, and verse. I'm pleading, don't be embarrassed about your stand for holiness, righteousness, godliness, and your message is, oh, preacher, you're going to, if if you preach on that, you're going to lose that family, and he's the biggest tither. My goodness, I still answer to God Almighty. He's the one that called me. He's the one that gave me his word. And if I started currying favor, I hate groveling at the feet of money. I had a guy, I'm done. <laughs> a guy comes to me, Pastor King, I'm quitting this church. I said, well, Dick, why would you quit our church? I mean, hey, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because... You are prejudiced toward rich people. Really? Yep. Yep. You're, I know it. You just want to curry the favor of all the wealthy people. They got a boat or a cottage or they take you out to eat. Those are your buddies and that's who you and you don't care about us regular people. Now, the honest truth is, 
I are a regular people. I've had a wet cow in my tail, in my face, in my mouth. I know exactly where I am in the pecking order. And so I challenged him. I can't let it go unchallenged. And it's an attack on my character and my Christianity. And I said, well, brother, what, what would lead you? Because, look, when you're attacked, the first question you have to ask is, is this true? Have enough humility to say, is this true? And then if it's not, be willing to say, why do they think this is true? Because sometimes, while it may not be true, maybe you've given that kind of signal. And so I said to him, uh, that's not true. I don't grovel at the feet of rich people. I've chased four millionaires out of our church already. Which is true. <laughs> I'm not real ha- fancy at this. And He pulls out a piece of paper. I'll show you the proof right here. Right here. Now look. He has written down, kept, and kept score, had a log. Here's who you had opened the Sunday school service in prayer. Here's who you called on the morning service. Here's who prayed for the offering. And here's who closed in prayer the first week in January. The second week of January, here's who he had opened Sunday school. Here's had you... He had a log, documentation, proof. He said, you just look through those names. Every one of them has money. Every one of them is the ones you call on. And I'm looking at the sheet and I'm going, holy cow, he's serious about this. This isn't just a slathering accusation. He, he believes this. And I got to looking and grinning. And so I says, Dick, come up here. And I took him up on the pulpit. And I had him stand behind the pulpit. And I says, now, every time I had somebody pray, it was at a time when we were just opening or we were just closing a service. And the whole congregation is standing. And if you look at every one of these names, they're all the tall guys. Because their head sticks up. And when I look out from here, I'm actually prejudiced toward tall guys. And I said, now think about the dynamics. You are five foot, six inches tall. And you sit in the very back row behind two huge gorilla of men. You know the chances that I'm going to see you when it comes time to dismiss in prayer? I'm prejudiced toward the guys that are nearer the front and the guys whose heads stick up. I'm prejudiced, but the guys I'm for are the tall ones. And as far as them being rich, you're unemployed! Everybody in the church has got more money than you do. Hear me. When you're accused, let it be a false accusation. That he that's of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to save you. There's a premium on genuineness and integrity and fidelity to the scriptures.
and you kind of earn the right to say hard things to people. If they believe you're trying to help them, you can say hard things to them. And I'm just challenging you. I can't tell you how much I believe this. Don't let anybody try to hyper-spiritualize you or somebody say, hey, look, if you would just trim your message on holiness, you could have a better church. You're going to answer to God Almighty for what you preach from that pulpit. Never forget that. I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who's called me and enabled me. Remember, you're going to answer to him, fear God first. And I'm just challenging you as pastors. It can be tough. Don't listen to the voices that are constantly rattling. If you trim the message, you could have this. If you don't preach on this, you could have this. Before God Almighty, I have a pure heart and I'm trying to help you from wherever I found you to wherever you ought to be. And that's all I can do. Don't, don't ever dip the flag on that. Let's yeah. pray, shall we? Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And before I pray, who would just say, Pastor King, I know exactly what you're talking about. There are challenges we face in this day and age. I've been tempted to quit. I've been tempted to compromise. I've been tempted to defend myself. I've been tempted to justify myself. It can get pretty weary and pretty lonesome and pretty bewildering sometimes to be in ministry in this day and age. But more than anything else, I want the Lord Jesus Christ to be pleased with me, my preaching, my ministry, my example in front of our people. And I serve the Lord Christ. I need the reminder today. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? I need the reminder today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, these are sweet guys, and I know they're battling at the battlefront and courageously standing for truth and... Boy, it can be discouraging to see people walk out the door never to return. It can be discouraging to have people criticize you from within. Lord, help us to remember that there is a place for Acts 15. But there is a place to go on. A time to get serious about the smaller matters. Shamefacedness humility, obedience. Lord, help us be conformed to you. And I pray for each preacher here especially. God, encourage his heart that what he's doing is not only biblical, but you're keeping the records. And help him claim that God's not unrighteous to forget your labor of love and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. Help us stand both feet on your promise today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.